Hello and welcome. Thank you for listening to Your Neighbor, a Priest, a podcast featuring commentary and theological reflection on local news and events in Southwest Washington and the larger themes that impact all of us as we wrestle with the challenges of life and in particular American life in the 21st century. I'm Father Nick Mather, Rector of St. Stephen's Episcopal Church in Longview, Washington. I am your neighbor and I am a priest. On today's episode, we continue our special two-parter series on evil and sin with a conversation on sin. What is it? How does it impact our lives? How can we respond to its presence in and around us? I think it's important to state the following as we begin our conversation on sin today. While I've connected this episode with the previous one on evil, I want to make it clear that ultimately, I do not see sin and evil as things that are inherently connected with one another. Let me explain. Evil, as we discussed last time, is about spiritual and sometimes physical forces that are acting in this world. They are the balance of the harmony that creation is trying to establish with each other and with God. All goodness would be unbalanced, as would all evilness. Now, that isn't to say that we want evil in the world, that we allow evil to operate in the world, but rather that we must recognize evil at work in the world and actively work to counteract it, to bring balance back into creation. To borrow an image from the television show The Legend of Korra, you can think of evil and good as being in a constant wrestling match wherein their connection to one another keeps a balance in place. And when that connection is severed, it is our task to reestablish the harmony and peace that once existed. Sin, on the other hand, is a whole different conversation, although it can definitely look and feel as though evil has its grasp on the sinner. Sin is not an external force, either spiritual or physical. Sin is an internal struggle. Sin is the brokenness that we feel when we do not practice love of neighbor. Sin is the hardness of heart that prevents us from seeing every sibling in creation as an equal, as a beloved child of God, as deserving of our own individual effort to do everything in our power to ensure that our siblings in creation are given every opportunity to experience the all-encompassing unconditional love of God through us. Sin is the distance, the gulf, that exists between us and God when we turn away from God to face this world alone, to think only of ourselves, to be concerned only for our own wants and desires, regardless of the harm it may bring to others, regardless of the rules and ethics we may bend and break along the way. Sin is the predominant force in American culture, and society. And sin is why church denominations across all spectrums are dwindling in number. A great tragedy is they should be the one place where sin meets its match. What do I mean when I say that sin is the predominant force in American culture and society? American culture and society is very concerned with the plight of the individual 
our individual rights, our individual success, our individual desires, our individual opportunities. Every aspect of American culture is squarely focused on how one solitary individual can achieve success and happiness. This narrow focus in turn has created our current reality. We have anti-maskers who refuse to wear a simple piece of cloth over their nose and mouth because it somehow infringes upon their individual liberties, completely ignoring the good of the collective whole in terms of public health and wellness. This is a big one here in Cowlitz County, as we've struggled to keep COVID-19 numbers in check, as we've continually refused to wear masks, refused to practice social distancing, refused to avoid large gatherings with many other households, refused to get vaccinated. Right? This is a county where the commissioners, acting as the Board of Health, have continually issued edicts that excuse this selfish, short-sighted thinking because it's somehow an affront to the individual rights of a person, completely ignoring how the exercise of one's individual rights can negatively impact countless others. The ongoing fight over sensible gun control laws is another great example. Because of a document written over 200 years ago, declaring certain rights of protection within certain parameters, we must now fight over whether or not it's okay for people to own devices in their home with little effort to control or track that ownership, whose sole purpose is to kill other human beings. The ongoing tragedy of mass killings, school shootings, and many, many other instances of gun violence is an epidemic of another sort in this country. And that is only one piece of the gun violence issue as the easy access to guns in many homes creates the opportunity for people to commit suicide at terrifying rates of success, leading to the most successful suicide attempts coming from those who use guns. The original sin of America is racism. And that is also about an individual desire, an individual focus. This sin is much more troubling because it literally built off the blood of other siblings in creation who were made to be other, made to be thought less than. And with this sin being baked into the foundings of this country, the sin has continued into this day and age as people continue to shout things like all lives matter and blue lives matter when they are asked with wrestling with the question they must ask themselves when faced with the call of black lives matter. That question is, do I believe that? Why do I hesitate to believe that? Ultimately, sin in America is continually rewarded through the one system that is focused on propping up the individual over their neighbor, and that is capitalism. Capitalism, as currently practiced in America, is solely focused on how a few individuals can accumulate the most amount of wealth. However, the trick with American capitalism is this completely unfounded notion that any individual can have that same level of success if they simply try hard enough and are willing to think only of their own personal success. 
One cannot be overly successful in a capitalistic society if they are concerned with the success of their neighbor equal to their own personal successes. This is not to say that people who do care for their neighbor, people who own businesses where they deeply care for their customers and work to ensure their success, cannot achieve a certain level of comfort within this model. But your potential growth is limited because the load you can carry in terms of attention and care is limited. When you move past the perceived need to care about every concern from every customer, then growth can become exponential within capitalism because you are only concerned about your own personal bottom line. This is how sin, the concern with only our individual wants and desires, has become the predominant force in American society. So how can the church answer the plight of sin that is present in our society and culture? And why does it seem sometimes that it's failing at this task? I want to welcome back to the podcast, Father Stephen Balke, for the second part of our two-part series on evil and sin. Today, uh, I invited Stephen to join me to talk about sin, uh, his definition, how we as pastors and as members of the church can respond to sin, um, and how we as a society uh, can address sin and perhaps turn towards love of neighbor as opposed to whatever it is we're doing right now. So welcome back, Father Stephen. Thank you. I'm glad to be a part of the discussion. So I just want to start, uh, as we did with the first uh, episode of this series, uh, and ask for your definition. Uh, and this time, what is your definition of sin? Right. So... I don't think I understood for the longest time just how important my definition of sin would be to my, to, to my whole worldview. Um, because I really, it's important to understand sin before you can really understand what it is to be forgiven from sin, right? It's important to uh, understand uh, what it means to be saved from sin, if you can't really define what that is. And so I think for a lot of people uh, like myself growing up, I very much was raised with this understanding of sin as just being like bad choices I made. I made a mistake, I did something wrong, therefore it was a sin. And it was a really shallow view of sin. And I came over time more to where I am now, which is really to look at sin, not as just being bad choices that you've made or a mistake that you've made, but to look at what is the center of your, what are you making the center of your moral universe, mm -hmm. your, your, your moral decision-making? Am I putting, am I putting God at the center, love of God at the center of my moral decision-making? Am I putting love of my neighbor at the center of my moral decision-making or am I putting myself at the center, my own self-love of, of what I want 
the center of. Uh, oh, pause just a second. My dog's oh, yeah. barking. <laughs> that will definitely show up on the recording if she keeps barking. I think she's done. Um, all of a sudden, everything just fell into place when I started thinking about sin in terms of who am I putting at the center of my moral universe, right? Hmm. Um, all of a sudden, it makes sense. Why, why is murder a sin, right? Like we, we say murder is a sin because I'm, I'm, take, I'm not putting the love of that person at the center of things. I'm putting my own self-love ahead of their, the worthiness, the, the worth of their life, the value of their life. Why is stealing a sin, right? It's because I've taken my desire for that thing and placed it as being at the center more important than what that person has or wants or needs. Uh, that it's less about having made a bad choice and it's more about who do I, who do I put at the center of my love? Right. Yeah, no, definitely. And so with, with that understanding, how do you help others face sin in their life, whether it's their own sin or when they experience sin expressed by other people, you know, it's something that we, we pray in, in our Lord's prayer is both, our sins and sins done against us. So, you know, sin, sin happens both ways. So how do you help people face that in, in this world? Yeah. Well, for starters, for starters, I, in a very personal level, I talk with people about my own journey of understanding sin and where I have struggled with sin in my life. Uh, if people are far more able to uh, generally engage in a discussion about it when they know that it's something that you've wrestled with and struggled with too, and that you're not trying to kind of figure out what is, what's the sin in your life, buddy? <laughs> you right. know, uh, while right. it's I'm a, a priest or people too moment. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. It opens up so many doors in the discussion when they realize that, oh, hey, actually I'm acknowledging I struggle with sin too. And again, it's much like evil uh, trying to get away from the labeling as much as possible. Right. If I'm looking at a person in their discussion and labeling you as, are you a sinner or are you not a sinner or are you sinful or not sinful? Uh, that really shuts down the discussion more than than opening it up in my in my experience. Um, yeah. And and it's not really fair because we are all sinners and we are all sinful. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, so putting that label on someone else dismisses it from you. Uh, and doing that is dishonest. Um, and, and in fact, is, is almost a sin in and of itself to, yeah. to judge someone else for their sins and not to be held accountable for your own. Well, and, and yeah, it, because likewise, it allows you to then do that to others too, right? right? Like I can just write off that other person as being a sinner or sinful. And then that's not somebody I need to engage in genuine relationship with. That's yeah, not, not someone you need to love. Yeah, I don't, right, exactly. If I can just label you as one of those people, then that, that means I don't have to worry about it. Um, so it, it, what if instead we think about, what if instead we were to measure sin in terms of our distance from God and our neighbor, right? And there are all sorts of things that can put distance between 
God and my neighbor in relationship, right? I can put, you know, when we talk about, say, a sin like greed, uh, what we're not talking about is that you made a mistake, you made a bad choice with money, therefore you're a sinner. Um, but what but what is the sin is when you've gotten locked into money being the center of your moral universe and it's putting distance between you and your neighbor, distance between loving God and loving your neighbor because, because you really got that love of that money wedged in in between, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's when it gets to be sin. Yeah, one of the things I... I talked about before starting our conversation um, on this episode is how in America, one of the kind of foundational or institutional experiences of sin is uh, the way that we practice capitalism in America. Um, and, And because capitalism in America is predicated on this, this belief that the only way to succeed or to be uber successful is to only look out for yourself and whenever needed to profit off of others, to put yourself on top of other shoulders, to use others to advance your own uh, personal desires and and goals. Um, It's all, it's so individualistic Mm -hmm. that it, it doesn't leave room for a neighbor. Right. When you're, when you are living in a nation that really from its very founding is built on prizing individualism and exceptionalism, right? Uh, This idea of, I will show that I'm the one that is right through my success and built into that becomes the idea that anyone who is different than me if I'm more successful than I can show, it's because my differences are better. And maybe we don't necessarily always, we don't, we don't tell ourselves, <laughs> we don't tell ourselves that we're doing this on purpose necessarily, but it can get built into things like racism. Mm-hmm. I can look at how are we different? Well, the color of my skin is different than the color of your skin. So then if I can write you off as being the one that's got more sin, then that, that makes me the more righteous one. Right. It gets back to that sense of labeling and othering. Um, if I can give you a label that, other, that makes you other than me, mm. then I can put all of those quote unquote bad labels onto you. And none of them are reflecting on me because we are clearly so different from each other. Uh, based on how much money we make or based on the color of our skin, you know, that, that clearly delineated difference in our society and culture. And, and that whole system is just a big system of sin. Um, you know, that uh, there's a, a book on, the, on racial injustice and the systemic issues of racism in our country that's titled Original Sin. Um, that's about how racism is America's original sin. Um, that and and racism in America and, and the experience of of white people versus black people, uh, in particular in our history, is built out of a sense of 
superiority and economic interests. It was all about how can I further my life and further my earnings, my monetary gains by labeling people as something other than an equal person, an equal part of God's creation. Right. And, and, and what else is that very act but driving a wedge and creating distance, right? By othering the other person. I'm literally right. pushing them away and creating more distance, more sin between us. Right. right. And, and I think, too, when you do that, it's not just between you and your neighbor because God, the reflection of Christ, the Holy Spirit, is present in our neighbor so even when, when we distance ourselves from our neighbor, that is a distancing from God. We, we, are, we are building walls around us to keep God out by keeping our neighbor out. And then that in turn doesn't allow us to connect with God in a spiritual sense on, on our individual relationship because we've clouded so much of that understanding of, of who God is present in this world. Uh, yeah, well, and, and, and that gets right to, you know, that's very much what Christ himself taught. And we, we see it reflected somewhat in the Gospels when it basically says, Jesus Christ basically came and taught his disciples that. Uh, it's, it's even more overtly clear when you read some letters like the first letter, you know, first letter of John, right? Where he basically says, we can't understand our relationship with God outside of measuring it by our love for each other. Like it's our love that we show for God's creation, God, the people made in the image of God, that we show what the love of God is. We can't understand it outside of that. Um, I, uh, I didn't always realize the deep connection between the temptation of, of equating sin to biology until somewhat recently. Uh, and it really, it, it's packed into even this, even the idea of original sin, right? I, mm -hmm. I, was, I was one of those kids that was raised um, with the idea of original sin as being simply like a blood-borne infection, right? Like a physical infection. Um, Eve ate the apple in the Garden of Eden. God said, don't you do that, Eve. She chose to do it anyway. <laughs> and was poisoned and and that that passed down with every subsequent generation and therefore like therefore um as a kid struggling with this idea of wait a minute you're trying to tell me that i was already born with sin before uh before i had had the chance to do any wrong or anything that i was already born sinful because of this somehow infection um and that and that baptism was supposed to be the thing that would sort of like inoculate me from that original sin, right? It was all very couched in biological terms, right? Um, and, and I can't help but feel like a lot of that isn't, doesn't lend itself really easily to when we talk about how women have been persecuted throughout history as being, you know, through biolog being biologically different from men. Um, from people being persecuted because of the color of their skin, because it's assumed to be biological, even when it's not. <laughs> um, that uh, we have 
persecuted people of different nationalities, Western Europeans persecuting Eastern Europeans even, uh, and that it was all very easily tied into that idea of that it's somehow physically, it somehow physically embodies sin in our lives. Yeah, so with that, how does the church respond to this? How do, what is, what is the call that, that Christians have to respond to this um, reality in creation? Um, and, and also with that, where do we come up short? Where do we even fail when trying to respond to this? Well, in a lot of our, it's multifaceted, right? One of the ways in which I see people within my own community, myself and my own church included, right, where we struggle is um, not wanting to acknowledge sin as being an actual thing in a way it, it can almost be, if we can write off sin as being, even at the same time what we talk about it, uh, if we can write it off as being this old wives tale about Adam ate the, or Eve ate the apple, therefore sin was passed into us and it's some sort of thing that, that we can say is there, but if in the back of our minds we can say, yeah, but that's probably not really a thing in a way it almost get, lets us off the hook that we can then just dismiss the whole idea mm. as opposed to really acknowledging that no, there are real decisions that we make in our lives where we put ourselves first ahead of the love of, of, of our neighbor, that there are real decisions that we make in our lives where we have the opportunity to love God or love our neighbor and we choose not to. And that that, and that that is sin, right? That we all yeah, do. It. I do, it, right? right. <laughs> I do, it. right? Yeah, and I think that you know when it comes to the role of the church, then in that is, like you said, to to be upfront about it, to not shy away from that reality, um, to to not try to lessen the reality or impact that sin has in creation and with that to speak to the reality of forgiveness, to speak to the reality of what Christ accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection and to speak to the reality of the relationship that we can have with God, uh, with Christ uh, when we practice the love of neighbor and the only way to do that is to recognize when we sin, to recognize sin existing in this world and the ways we can combat it and respond to it and try to change systems that are based on it. Um, I think that's the role of the church. And, and I think that, you know, the church fails when it doesn't do that, when it, when it does shy away, when it does make less when it when it lets people off easy 
um, when it tells people that, well, you've been baptized, so you're saved, and that's the end of the conversation. We don't need to worry about anyone else because you individually have been saved. I think that is, that's, that's only like the first part of a multi-part journey. That's the first um, part, right. And we, uh, too often we stop there. Right. <laughs> I, uh, I was just, this is an example I use with, with my congregation frequently. Um, where too often we look at sin as the idea of saying, hey, my neighbor has a nice house. I'm going to break into their house and steal it, right? Right. That's wrong. That's a sin, right? I think we all agree about that. And so therefore, if I avoid doing that, I've avoided the sin. Yeah, perfect. Um, I'm not stealing anybody's houses, so I'm not a sinner. I break that commandment. (laughs) Um, But if you don't think about sin as being a bad choice I made, but instead you look at sin as being a distance that has been put between me and my neighbor. What if I look at my neighbor that's across the street from me and I realize that I own my home because my grandfather was white and went to war and came home on the GI Bill and was able to buy a house, build up equity in that house who he passed on to his son, who he passed on to me, And now I'm able to own this house and I have equity in this home, not through any right or wrong decision I made, right? Whereas my neighbor across the street fought in the same war, came home, but because he was black, was denied the benefits of the GI Bill. And he rented his house because he couldn't buy one. And then he had nothing to pass on to his son who had nothing to pass on to his son. And Right. Did I steal my neighbor's house? No, I absolutely didn't. Right. But is there distance between him and me because of some systemic injustice? Is there a rift in our relationship because of that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so if you think about sin in the broader sense, you realize I have something I need to do there. I have something I need to do about that because there is brokenness in this world that needs to be addressed. So I think people, people sometimes think I'm being abstract about this, but I don't think it's an abstract idea at all um, that, that we, as a ch- we in churches sometimes focus so much on the avoiding making a bad choice part of sin, where, and then we stop there, right? As opposed to taking the deeper dive and saying, is there distance between me and my neighbor? And is there something, this is why it's not abstract, something concrete and actionable I could be doing to lessen that distance? Is there something I could be doing to grow closer to my neighbor, to be grow closer, grow closer to God? And that is reducing the amount of sin in this mm-hmm. world. Yeah, that reminds me of, of the saying, um, goes something along the lines of, you know, uh, churches are not meeting rooms for saints, but rather hospitals for sinners. Right. I mean, yeah, there you go. (laughs) Yeah. That sense that the church is, is a place where we as creation in our sin can still come together with other people and lay that before God and acknowledge that this is a reality of being in creation that, that we are tempted, that we do sin, uh, that we put that distance between us and our neighbor 
and seek that forgiveness from God and knowing that we will get it from God when we come to church on a Sunday, we get it every single time we, we ask for it from God, that in turn is the model for seeking it from our neighbor. And we have to do that part too, though. We can't just mm-hmm. seek it from God. We have to go then also seek it from our neighbor. Um, but it's that model of knowing that forgiveness will come. And it's a lot harder and a lot messier when it's with our neighbor, because uh, it's, it's another person. It's another, another member of creation who you have to engage with and build a relationship with and, and you, you've hurt uh, or, or put distance between in your sin. Um, they're not going to forgive quite as easily as, or <laughs> most, most people will not forgive quite as easily as God will. Um, there are people out there who have such a deep level of faith that, that they do practice that forgiveness in, in an astounding way. And when you encounter those people seeking forgiveness from them and they just offer it without any reservation or any qualification, it's a powerful experience. Um, but that's, that's not most people. Um, and we learn, uh, we learn from God. We learn from those interactions when we do seek forgiveness and we keep trying. And I think that's, that's kind of all we can do is, is keep trying, uh, keep trying to grow, keep trying to, to recognize sin and where, where we are creating distance, whether it's between us and God or between us and neighbor or between us and God through the distance between us and our neighbor and, and seek forgiveness for that. Yeah, I think earlier on, I mentioned that you know, before you can start with what is forgiveness, you, you really do need to think through what is your concept of sin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because if you think about forgiveness, and this is where I think forgiveness is hard for some people, is forgiveness, if you're looking at it, sin as just a wrongdoing, that forgiveness could be simplified as simply, I'm telling you that that wrongdoing was okay. I'm giving you a pass on that and saying that it's no longer wrong. And I, of course, I get why people will be reluctant to do that. You, you don't want to give people a pass on, on a wrongdoing that they did. If you're thinking about sin as being, there's distance between us. There's distance between you and me. And there's a choice that one of us made that put more distance between us, right? Forgiveness isn't about saying that that distance isn't there. It's not about pretending that it's not there. It's about acknowledging that we're still in the relationship, right? That yes, there is distance between us, but, but that we're still both here. Not, you know, the Christian, the, you know, being, being a, a good Christian priest, my goal is always to bring it back to death and resurrection of Jesus. But uh, isn't that what he modeled, right? What he modeled was that uh, there's no greater distance you could have put between anybody, but to have somebody, God himself, come to you and say, I love you fully, please love me back. And our response instead was to betray him <laughs> publicly execute him. You can't have more distance than that, right? And his response was to say, not even that amount of distance will break our relationship apart. But that's forgiveness. 
right? That no amount of distance will break that relationship. And so we're being asked to model that for each other is to say, yes, we will do things to push each other away. I will, I will do, I will fall short and I'll push you away. You'll fall short and push me away. But in forgiving one another, what we're really saying is not even that distance will break our relationship. I want to thank Father Stephen once more for joining me for our conversation today. And I want to thank you for joining me and us today for this episode of Your Neighbor, a Priest. Next time on Your Neighbor, a Priest, we'll discuss the ongoing work of racial reconciliation that became mainstream nearly one year ago. Until then, I keep encouraging you to get vaccinated, to wear your mask, to be well, and may God's unending, all-encompassing peace and love be with you all.